Hello and welcome. My name is Alex MacPhail and this is High Performance Teams. I'm a former aerobatics display pilot from the South African Air Force and I love talking about high performance teams, what makes them work and what we can all learn from them. In the show, we talk to race pilots, professional sportsmen and women, entrepreneurs, comedians, performing artists and more. Please enjoy and remember to subscribe. A very good evening to you and welcome to the show. Sorry about the delay. There was a bit of movements in the day. Today, I've got a fascinating guest. Interesting. He's a world champion. He's a training captain. He's an international air show pilot, a man of many talents, all things aviation. Captain Nigel Hopkins is sitting in Frankfurt in Germany right now with the repatriation flights of uh, South African and German citizens. Stay tuned for more. Nigel, good to see you. How are you doing in Germany today? Hi, Alex. We're good. I've been here a few days and getting ready to come back home and see what awaits us back at home. Okay. You've had a couple of days there. Did you take citizens that way? Did you take cargo up? Which flights were you involved in? Yeah, we took citizens via Cape Town. So uh, we arrived here Sunday morning. We've got a few days here. And then uh, we're actually off to Luanda tomorrow to go and fetch South African citizens in Luanda to bring them home. Okay, that's great. I'm glad that they're tying in. Uh, we did a, a recent trip out to the Far East. There was nothing tying coming back yet, but I've heard some flights coming back via Accra, etc., Lagos. So great that they're using that initiative to build it into uh, to the return journey too. But Nigel, uh, I mean, you, your pedigree speaks for itself, but uh, talk us through just a little bit of a background. I know you were in the Air Force. You were an air traffic controller at some point. So just talk a little bit how you got into flying. You're a son of a, of a pilot as well. And start from a little bit in the beginning, sort of 16, 18 years old. Where did it start for you? Yeah, well, it actually started in about um, 16 days, if you want to call it that. So I grew up in an aviation family. I grew up on a parachute club from uh, a very young age and started gliding on my dad's lap um, before I could even walk. So um, it's pretty much been in the blood the whole time. But yeah, after I left school, I, I was uh, a loadmaster at 44 Squadron for a year, which was a lot of fun and sort of got me into... Um, Pilot training. I started at uh, Defence Flying Club, went solo there, and then uh, managed to get a job at Grand Central, working in the control tower, uh, which was a great experience. I learned a lot about aeroplanes, uh, and uh, just had an opportunity to to really knuckle down and get all my studies out of the way, which was great because I hate studying. So it uh, <laughs> just gave me a chance to finish it all before I got stuck into flying. Okay, nice. Um, so, I mean, I, I know you've got uh, quite a wide background. I mean, starting at a young age like that, exposure is good. But it's, a, it's good to see that, you know, someone that's achieved so much like yourself, uh, that, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you just jumped in and was, uh, you know, flying the, the best airplanes. You started off as a loadmaster. You worked on the tower as well. So that's an interesting building block. And then uh, kicked off really with a, with a qualification as a flying instructor. I mean, you've got many, many years and thousands and thousands of hours as instruction. So how did that, how did that sort of bedrock of instruction build you into the next phase of flying? You, you became an airline pilot quite young too. Yeah, it, it was a great experience. I think I learned a lot about myself uh, teaching people of all ages. You know, I was very young as an instructor. So, uh, you know, I had to really learn the ropes very quickly. But you learn, firstly, a lot about yourself as a, as a teacher. And secondly, uh, you learn a lot about the mistakes that, that aviators make. And uh, you make a lot yourself as you go through your career. But I think as an instructor, you pick it up very quickly. And uh, it certainly was a great a great building block. Uh, I had the opportunity to also fly a bit of charter and medical rescue out of Grand Central before I got into the airline. So it was really a, a chance to, to get to know uh, airplanes really well on your own without uh, much 
guidance, if you want to call it that, and just learning the ropes in the bush and, and flying medical rescue. I had some great mentors along the way, uh, one of them being my father as well. So that was fantastic to do that. And in fact, we did our comms together, which was quite interesting uh, experience as well. So, yeah. And then from there, I started uh, in the airlines with SA Express. That was a great a great learning curve. It was the early days of SA Express on the Dash 8. Um, it, we did a lot of flying and to some interesting places, so that was a lot of fun. Oh, nice. And uh, I know then at that point as well, when you started in the airlines, you were quite involved in the EAA with the rally and precision flying. And although it's quite, uh, was fairly well known in the aviation game, not a lot of people know about, uh, talk us a little bit through what is rally flying, what's precision flying, and how did that build you into the sort of well-formed pilot that you became after that? Well, growing up with the Experimental Aircraft Association, um, I had the opportunity to navigate for many of the pilots uh, while I was at school still. So that was a great experience, learning uh, the ropes on navigation and map reading and, and finding places and accuracy of timing. And I, it was something I really enjoyed and uh, um, I always wanted to fly aerobatics, but um, the cost was quite prohibitive. So uh, I thought that rally flying would be quite interesting and, and learned a lot about aeroplanes and flying uh, sort of close to the stall limits and, and, and a lot about navigation and accuracy. So uh, I, I did pretty well in that, which was which was great. I managed to win a few South African championships, both in rally flying, which is two crew, and uh, precision flying, which is single crew. And ultimately, together with uh, my navigator, Delta Clack, we had a third place in Italy in 99, and we managed to win the world championships in 2003, which is certainly a highlight. Yeah, okay. So uh, when, you, when you're talking about uh, did pretty well, <laughs> world champion is uh, nothing to be sneezed at. That's fantastic. Uh, you've got a rich pedigree. I know over that time, particularly was a, was a building, it must have been gaining confidence day by day. Uh, 13 titles in a nine-year period of, in the national level, a world championship. That's wonderful. And if I understand correctly, you're representing your country. You know, that's a, that's a Springbok level qualification, wearing the, the green and gold, going to all these world champs events. It just must have been such a fantastic feeling. Absolutely. I think there's nothing, nothing better or nothing uh, more motivating than representing your country. It is a, a SESCOG recognized sport. So we got our uh, national colors and our protea colors and, and just representing your country. I think uh, as South Africans, we are um, very patriotic and, you know, seeing the flag behind you and <laughs> listening to the anthem when, when they raise the flag and getting your medals, it's, it's really something special. Yeah, it is. It's, it really is a great uh, event. And I want to just put some pictures up here. So uh, w when you went from uh, at this point now, you're growing in stature in your own ability, you, you winning medals, you're now gr in the airline, you becoming an instructor at a young age, a pilot instructor at the airline. Then opportunities also came about. And then there's a picture from way back when of the Sassel Tigers here. So talk us through how then you started in this sort of jet formation aerobatic team. Correct me if I'm wrong, is this, besides the military, was this the first uh, private jet aerobatic team in the country? Uh, it was. There were some um, entrepreneurs, we want to call them, some businessmen and some great aviators, uh, good friends of mine that, that managed to, to get a few of these uh, aircraft, uh, ex-Russian military aircraft. And um, I was afforded the opportunity to, to join the team, which was a, a great experience. Having not uh, made it into the Air Force at the time, they had stopped all pilot training in the Air Force, which obviously was a dream of, of any young aviator or passionate aviator. So I missed that. And um, although it actually worked out well for, my, for me career-wise, um, I never had the opportunity to fly fast jets or, or any kind of jets. So although these are jet trainers and not uh, supersonic aircraft, it was, certainly was a great opportunity to be able to fly these aircraft. Okay, and again, uh, I'm just leaving that picture up there because uh, it was a, I mean, it was it was a quite a well-run thing. It was set up nicely, had great sponsorship. The team it looked good, it, it operated well. Uh, but uh, again, 
not all things just, uh, you know, you take that step up, that step up, and, uh, and, and you feel like you, you're making it. But, you, I mean, you also had some setbacks there. So I don't know if you'd like to share a little bit about the L29 incident you had at Newcastle. And, uh, you know, people have setbacks. And uh, talk us through what went on in, in Newcastle for you. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I don't necessarily want to talk about these things, but it does happen. I guess every sport has its injuries and, and there are risks. And, and the idea is obviously to mitigate those risks as much as possible. But unfortunately, they do exist. And uh, I unfortunately ended up with an onboard fire uh, and had to force land the aircraft and um, did get a bit hurt in the, in the process. But, um, you know, you learn from those, those incidents and, you know, some guys get away with it. I was very lucky. And um, by the grace of God, go we. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to, to then continue with my career and, and to achieve more. And, uh, you know, you learn from it. Well, it doesn't get you, sort of makes you stronger at the end of the day. So, uh, yeah, one of, one of those setbacks, and I think it just shows it, uh, irrespective of, of who you are and what you may have achieved before, you're only as good as your last performance. Sure. And, uh, and, and you need to continue to, to be disciplined and to work on your, on your skills. And tell me, uh, was there a bit of a setback? You know, were you out of the cockpit for a while? How did you feel about getting into sort of smaller aircraft again versus career? Because by then you're established in, the, in an airline career too. What was the, the recovery time for you on that? It was pretty quick. Um, you know, I, I always said, you know, if it was probably, if it was a, a skill thing, if I'd done, made a mistake from a skill perspective, it might have affected me a bit more. Um, you know, like I said, these things happen. It's, uh, it, that's why they called it an accident at the end sure. of the day. So, you know, it, um, it didn't affect me as much as, as, as possibly it would have if I'd made a big mistake or something like that in my abilities, you know. Okay. Well, we're not going to dwell on that, but it, it, it just highlights the point that, you know, people get set back and, uh, you know, how you pick yourself up is really what, what de uh, determines how your success and your ongoing life's going to be. So well done for that, getting back in the cockpit and carrying on. And around that point, I, I presume that was the time when you really started knuckling down with the, the air show, the, the, uh, the aerobatic flying and competition aerobatics. And now you've done all the rally flying and now honing your skill on on competition aerobatics. So talk us through what competition aerobatics looks like and, and how you prepare and how you go about executing being ready for competition on the advanced or unlimited level. I've always wanted to, always wanted to compete in, in aerobatics and um, you know, I'd watched a lot of our, our guys going through the aerobatic scene and achieving well and, and just really enjoying it. And uh, there, were, there were a lot of guys on the scene at the time um, Peter Saliers and uh, Stu Davidson that were really doing well in flying internationally. And, and obviously growing up in air shows, a lot of those guys were also competing. Um, and then in 2004, we know Glendale won the Advanced World Aerobatic Championships in Sweden. And that was at right about the time where I had the opportunity to get into an aerobatic aircraft. And, um, and the sport was growing pretty quickly based on his uh, achievements and results. And uh, that's when I started. And I started right at the bottom at sportsman level and, uh, and started building up the skills and the necessary experience to get through the ranks, through uh, intermediate, advanced. And uh, at the time, it was pretty much South Africa was only flying advanced. Uh, you know, the aircraft at the time just couldn't get through the unlimited sequences at, on the high field. And that's where most of us live and, and train. And, uh, you know, unless we were at sea level, it just wasn't possible to fly the unlimited sequences. Um, I managed together with uh, Larry Beamish to get an aircraft. We got an extra 300. In fact, we got two and um, started an aerobatic team as well. But the focus then uh, already was on competition aerobatics. And I made the team for the 2006 uh, World Advanced Aerobatic Champs. as pretty much a rookie in advance, um, just early days, and, and just went for the experience. It was a great experience. And then 2008, um, 
we went off to America for the advanced and we had a, we had a good team. We had eight pilots. And as a team, although it wasn't a full aerobatic championship, there, there were some countries that didn't participate. We managed to get a silver medal as a team and I got an eighth position overall. So that, that was really the start of, um, of my international aerobatic career in terms of, of doing well and just really enjoying the sport. Um, then we, we managed to get um, some finance. Um, I, I got some sponsorship for finance and a couple of sponsors. And uh, the first MX2 came into the country with Mark Hensman and, and a couple of partners. And uh, this aircraft was just something uh, off, the, off the scale, you know, something really capable and something we could fly unlimited with in, in, uh, on the high field. So I managed, to, as I said, to get some sponsors and to get finance for an aircraft and ordered an MX2, which we uh, then sent to Poland in 2010 for the Advanced World Aerobatic Champs. And uh, as a team, we had a great team of eight um, pilots, good friends, just a really tight group uh, of people. And uh, I managed to win the first two programs and, and finish second overall. And as a team, we had four pilots in the top 12. Uh, it was the biggest advanced championship ever. There were 85 entries from okay. around the world. And as a team, we also came second. So it was, it was a great achievement for us. And it sort of um, got me to a point where, you know, I needed, I needed and wanted to step up to an unlimited level. And, and I had the aeroplane. And, uh, and that's when we started with unlimited flying. Okay. It sounds like, a, I mean, again, if you look back, you think, wow, we've, we've come so far. And you have. You, you've built up. And, and someone taking a view, a snapshot of your career, they'll say, wow, you know, he just put one thing in front of the other. And then he was there. And then he was there. But, uh, but actually, it's a long, slow building process. And this is one of the things of, of high-performance teams. You, know, you have to build on these incremental gains. You, you, know, you see the opportunity, you take the opportunity, and you build on it. How can we do something just a bit better tomorrow that, you know, don't worry about what other people are doing, but uh, how can my performance today just be that bit better tomorrow? And so talk us through the difference between, we get to some nice video clips and things in a minute, but some, and some great photos of your flying, but what is the difference between the advanced and that limited? Is it, I mean, is it such a big change? What are the, are there significant rules or, or, or how does that, how do you approach that? It's a massive change. You know, if you, if you go from uh, advanced to unlimited, it's almost like going right from the basic sportsman class to advanced. That, that's the kind of jump that it is. So, you know, it's a, it's a huge jump. Uh, the, the sequences are extremely difficult and complex. And it, and it took us a long time to get, to get ourselves proficient uh, enough to go to a world championships in, in the unlimited class. It really was a big step. And as you say, you, you know, you don't see the amount of time and, and effort that goes in. You can spend weeks on one, on one maneuver trying to, trying to get it right. And uh, it was just a big jump. And uh, we, once again, you know, we, we have a, a team of pilots, you know, we don't have coaches here and we help each other and we spend a lot of time working together to get ourselves up to the level that we could compete. Uh, it must have been a great feeling knowing that, uh, I mean, you've all, you're all in it for the same thing, you're competing and you mentioned there was a time that there was up to eight of you there and you're all you're chipping in and, and as we spoke earlier, somebody will be watching your show and giving you that debrief and maybe you're getting some insight and so talk us through in the debriefs how do you how do you go upon building on these incremental gains i mean what does your team look like representing the country you're all there doing individually but you're also there as a, as a sport how do you how do you manage that team dynamic on these uh, sort of extreme events now, it's actually quite interesting, you know, particularly when we fly national championships. You know, we, we spend a week coaching each other, um, getting each other, helping each other, and then at the end of the day, we fly a competition against each other. So it just shows that you know, we are actually a band of brothers, and, and we're there to, to improve this. We're there for the sport at the end of the day. We're there sure. to improve each other's skill, 
to help. I mean, every little bit of criticism or, or, or crit and help you can get from the guys on the ground um, is, is worth uh, it's worth so much. You, you may, may not see the errors while you're in the cockpit. And, and that's what we do. We're helping each other all the time, and it just creates a fantastic bond and a team spirit within the team. Oh, wonderful. Okay, I want to just put a couple of pictures up now because uh, uh, here's a, you, you, in, of late, your last while, you've had a, a poor sponsorship. So there's a nice shot of the, the underside of the airplane, Tim Mount in the background. And I want to credit to Justin Derrick. He's taking great photos. I think he's the, sort of the foremost aviation photographer at the moment. And a nice picture there of your uh, aircraft with the poor sponsorship. So you worked hard to get your sponsorships and get to where you are. Uh, tell us about that side of things. I mean, do you have a team of people? Do you have a PA and an admin and a finance person? And you've got your technician and your trainer and your sport. You know, how big is your team to, to be able to deliver what you deliver? Well, yeah, you're right. I've got all of those and you're looking at it. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, unfortunately, there's, there's not enough money to, to have all of those people around and to pay them. So you end up doing that as a, almost as a full-time job and, and managing all of that. But I've been very fortunate with my sponsors and having great sponsors like Portion. And it, it's just... It's been so easy, you know, uh, it, they really have uh, made it easy for me to, to operate and just to focus on my flying. So, you know, that, that's been the, the pleasure of working with, with these professionals and having these sponsors. The, the essential part for me, when you hear those words, smoke on go, it's game time. This is it. So talk me through your feeling when you, as the leader of this team, you've now moved into formation aerobatics uh, and it's now, you're the leader of this now team. Smoke on go is where it all begins. Uh, talk us through how that, uh, how that plays out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you've seen uh, you've seen the result of, of many, many hours of, of training and and getting to a point where you're able to do that. You can see how close we're flying together, and I mean, you've done it yourself. You, you know how much time and effort goes in behind the scenes to be able to get there, and that's exactly it. It's the moment. You know, it's game time, and, and, and that's when it all happens, and you're in the moment for that 10 or 12 minutes that you're displaying, and it's just an incredible feeling, absolutely incredible feeling. Uh, I'm sure even sitting there, I sit here and I hear those words smoke on go and I start uh, reliving and I can feel my, my excitement, my energy levels are going up, my heart rate is, uh, is already racing and I'm just thinking back of something from many, many years ago. So smoke on go. Okay, so talk us through then. So now, uh, this is around 2010, 2011 now, Team Extreme, or, or certainly you start the beginning of what Team Extreme ends up being. Uh, now you've got a formation aerobatic team in uh, in in. Aerobatic airplanes, which is, uh, that's a whole different thing. Uh, you know, L-29 flying a, a little bit of an underpowered jet in a formation aerobatics is tricky. But now a twitchy little thing that just wants to keep rolling and snapping. What is that like in formation aerobatics? Yeah, it's quite difficult. I mean, you, you're fairly limited in what you can do uh, in formation. Uh, so you're not going to end up doing the high, the high energy maneuvers that you would do uh, flying solo aerobatics when you're together like that. But obviously we can now use the aircraft to split up and and really energize the show, which is what it's about. But the actual formation stuff, you know, as I said, you're quite limited, pretty much up to 5G and, and, and sort of gentle rolling and looping. Uh, but we, we try and make the display as dynamic as possible. Uh, you know, it's, it's very different to, to solo aerobatics. The camaraderie is there, um, the trust required to fly together. Uh, you know, you have to build. And, uh, and, and you've got four people to think of, not just yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, sure. So tell me now, you talked about trust, you talk about building a team, you're the leader of this team now, a lot of responsibility. Do you train that passion, that trust, that, uh, that uh, team buy, buying into the team? Or is that something that you, you figure out at the sort of selection phase, as it were? And it's not quite the same as the military teams, you kind of <coughs> handpick your people anyway, but there's certainly a level of sussing out the people that you prepare to fly with two meters on your wing. Uh, is that something you can build up or do you have to choose the right person to the beginning from the beginning? 
I think it's a bit of both. You know, with civilian teams, particularly like this, there's not a lot of funding. So you've got to get it right from the outset. You, you don't have the opportunity to really build it over a long period of time. Uh, with us, you know, we we all grew up in competition aerobatics together. And, and, that, and that's where the respect is built up. You know, the understanding of each other's skill uh, is, is critical. And from that, you then build the team dynamics. So it's not like you're just arriving as a rookie and you don't, you've got no idea what what the other person's about. You've watched them through their competition. You've watched them get uh, uh, get more experience and build the skill levels. And then it's a matter of putting them all together. And obviously, the personalities have has to be there uh, through friendships before you even start if this is going to be a success. So fortunately, we are four good mates. We uh, respect each other's abilities and talents. And from there, we could then practice and put the team together. Oh, that's great. Now, I, I, I'm not trying to make this a show about uh, setbacks, but certainly no one gets to the top of their game without the setbacks along the way. And so I'm just going to put up the other picture here of, uh, you know, that, that unfortunate time where you went off to France, you're in the preparation for the Worlds once again, and here you are in a parachute and your stricken airplane is uh, 100 meters away. What was the timing? You had uh, moments to make a decision. Talk us through that sort of five seconds. Well, I think you can see from the photograph um, that the timing was just pretty short. There's a parachute right next to a stricken aeroplane. So, yeah, once again, one of those things, something you never, ever um, want to happen or, you know, or expect to happen even in, in an aerobatic aircraft that's built to the to the quality and the strength that it is. Uh, one of those things that happened, there was a technical fault, and, um, and I ended up not having control of the aircraft, so loss of control. Uh, you know, there's a lot in terms of what we do in training in the airline that, that can be used for, for other flying um, situations or scenarios. And a lot of the training we did in terms of, of um, risk mitigation and preparation and getting yourself ready for a possible scenario like that, uh, in the airline, I have taken to my, my private plane as well. And it was one of those situations where, you know, it happened and uh, fortunately I was able to make a decision immediately and was able to escape. Yeah, well, certainly it doesn't happen very often, and uh, you know, either you either really lucky or really unlucky. But either way, we're so glad that you're still part of us here, and you are. Uh, we're going to come back to this airline talk in a minute because there's a there's a bit we can zoom in. I just want to talk a little bit more about some of your air shows, and we'll come back to UPRT training and the sort of high level of training that goes on at modern flight decks and airlines. But um, so then your formation team now, you're flying in South Africa, but you also have another team, or part of the same team, but you're part of a, an aerobatic team that gives displays three, four times a year to China. Again, you, uh, it's the same core group of people, but these are different experiences. Now, the, the air space is different, the, the visibility is poor, the congestion, the language barrier, etc. You're away from home, far away from home for a long time. So talk us through what it is to, 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 to go to the Far East and give air shows in this formation aerobatics. Yeah, well, essentially the discipline's the same. Um, you know, fortunately, we, we fly with the same people, so you know all the team dynamics uh, don't change. But we are flying aircraft we're not familiar with, so it takes a few days to adapt again. <clears throat> As you say, the uh, the weather there is, is is very unpredictable. Often flying with poor visibility and, and, and low cloud, so you need to be able to adapt your your sequences and and, and go from there. Uh, we've got a great team set up there. You know, Mark Hensman started a business there with the team and. And, and has a, a fantastic setup in terms of engineering and having the aircraft, you know, prepared and ready. And uh, and that makes a huge difference, taking that pressure and that load off as well. So once we're there, essentially we're, we're the same team and, and, and we have the same disciplines and preparation before each show. 
Okay, now I've got a picture up there of uh, underneath it says flying home. Was there some particular message in that, uh, the, the flying home for ship? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure which one that is. You know, we've done, we've done so many shows there and, and we often get a lot of sponsorships, often uh, with Chinese writing. So generally, I don't, I don't even know what it means half the time. But, uh, <laughs> I see. Okay. Right, let's put another little video up and this is the pyro show in China and then I'll let it play and you can talk us through this pyro show. Okay, so and, and it, is it a limited, obviously the, the timing is now limited because it's going to run out, but uh, I see it looks like quite a sort of a low looping show, flattish show. It, it, was there something different to how you operated with now that you've got pyros on the aircraft? Yeah, well, that day, unfortunately, the, the, the weather was poor, so we had low cloud and, and quite limited in what we, what we could do at the time. But the idea is to, to have pretty much our, our, our usual show of, without, the, without the wow um, stuff opposing stuff, but more than other loops and the rolls and stuff, just to show off the pyro, and it, it, it's it's pretty awesome. Okay, well, now let's go back to the, the the talk about training. So now you've you've done all these things, and I know you continue to compete in aerobatics. You continue to to have your show in South Africa. You've had uh, international shows all over Africa. You've been to America. You've displayed in more countries than most people have even visited or thought about visiting. Now. Back to the airline. So you were in, an instructor in the airline fairly young, and within a year of becoming a captain, you're a training captain at, a, at a, a significant airline around the world. And now an opportunity presents itself. You stick your hand up and you go for it. Head of training on the Airbus 320 fleet, or at the time 319 fleet. The fleet was a little bit smaller. It became almost twice the size. Your instructor core had to grow to twice the size. Tell me how you approach that now, because you are... are responsible for the standards of not only your instructors but what they give out to the the airline essentially and that's the the whole domestic fleet half of South African Airways and now you grow this team from a smaller group to double the size 20 odd instructors tell me how you approach that and uh, and and your thought processes in building the best team you could have of, of instructors in the 320 fleet yeah well so that was probably something I'd never ever thought of doing um, I never saw myself as a management pilot or uh, you know running a team like that, uh, it just sort of happened at, at the time, you know, there was an opportunity. I think for me, it was, I was very fortunate and, and being in a position in a professional airline environment like this makes it a lot easier. You know, you're not dealing with, um, with rookie pilots. You don't have a massive um, gradient in terms of experience. So everybody around you is very professional, uh, highly skilled, highly trained and highly motivated. And the idea was, or, or the secret there, I think really is, is harnessing all the um, experience that you have around you and trying to get the best out of everybody uh, that is working with you. And, and, and the, way, the way I approached it was to create a team rather than have a head of training and having a bunch of instructors was let's work together as a team. Let's find the, the strengths in every single individual and, 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 and use those strengths to our abilities or to the, to the maximum. And then we could all learn from those strengths. So if somebody was very technically orientated or somebody's very theory orientated or somebody's very practically orientated is to use those skills and to maybe upskill uh, some of the areas that, that, that we might be deficient in and, and, and just build the team up uh, and build the team dynamics from there.
So if I understand what you're describing there, uh, you almost like you want to hand out the specific areas to people to run as little mini projects. I know you have twice a year, you've got to get together and create the, the, the primary training and the secondary training for the year, operational proficiency checks, etc. Um, almost hand over the areas of people's experience and interest such that they can provide the best product and that the team you know, is delivering a great job. Absolutely. There's, there's, it's no way that an individual can, can manage that on, on their own. And uh, from the outset, I said we are a team. And uh, the big thing also is, is to give or to have trust uh, in, your, in your individual team members and to give them the ability to make their own decisions. And, and that's important, it, you know, to make everybody feel like they are making a difference. And, uh, and that to me was, uh, was um, something that I really focused on. It, it, it's just saying, look, I trust you. You know, you have, you have uh, the ability, you have the skill, make it work at the end of the day. Sure. Okay. And now uh, you've spent about six years running that fleet and then an opportunity presents itself once again and you go for it. And now you're flying on the international fleet uh, no longer in the head of the training, but now the role's a bit different. Still in charge and still responsible for the team. An example is today, you, you're in the other side of the world. You are responsible for, uh, I think your crew's about, what, 16-odd people there, maybe 18. You know, they've all got their own stresses at home. We're in a very strange place, COVID, uh, the airline, rocky place itself. And you've got to manage the people, manage the team. You're far away from home. You've got uh, external factors. How have you translated your precision flying, you know, you've come through precision flying, rally flying, harnessing your own skills. You built that into flying in a formation aerobatic team, building your own, leading your aerobatic team, leading a team of highly qualified instructors. And now you're in this role where you're looking after a lot of people far away from home with very strange set of circumstances. How does that play out today for you? Yeah, as you say, I think at the moment, everybody's pretty stressed. So I think communication is key. Um, you know, we, we got together at the beginning of the flight and we had a good chat about uh, what is required. Fortunately, once again, we have rules and protocols and, and SOPs that, to follow. And once again, it's, it's having the trust that everybody uh, knows what they need to do and giving them the opportunity to be able to use their skills and present their skills and, uh, and work together as a team at the end of the day, not trying to be individuals. Okay. Well, you know, we haven't had a chance to fly yet. I certainly hope we do get that chance uh, one day with our career. So we'll cross over again and another chance to fly together. Um, I want to just uh, jump through one more air show video here and you can talk us through the Faku air show. Prepare as much as we can um, so we understand exactly what we're going to do on the day and, and each individual knows what their, their roles and responsibilities are. Um, that, that's just a nice figure. I think most teams in the, in the world do it these days. And, you know, one aircraft upside down and one right below it and then somebody rolling around the smoke. It's just it's a nice presentation. It looks good. And uh, and it's one of our one of our figures that we do as part of the show. I know, and, I, and also uh, coming back to these air shows, it's just a, it's a privilege to be able to display your art form, your creativity, the energy. The crowds generally love it. I know you guys are looking forward to a great uh, air show down in Stellenbosch, which is always a crowd favorite. And you you shared a nice picture. I'll stick it up there with your Porsche McCann and Table Mountain at sunset. You were looking forward to that Stellenbosch air show. It didn't work out, but hopefully that'll come back on. Um, and uh, so when you do the performance for the home crowd versus these big international air shows in China, you know, wh which do you prefer? I actually prefer the small, the small town shows. I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's more about just enjoying, enjoying the flying, the passion for flying, the camaraderie with your team. Um, you know, for me, that's, that's more important at the end of the day. Look, when, when we are at shows, the, the whole idea there is to, is to 
get people to enjoy aviation, to, to stimulate aviation, to stimulate the passion for flying. That's what it's actually all about at the end of the day. But personally, I enjoy the smaller shows and just having fun with airplanes. Well, Nigel, I know it's been great. You've, uh, I know you're sitting there in Germany. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you. We can talk a lot about all sorts of other different things. I appreciate your time, what you do for the sport, for the industry, for the, the airline, your capacity of training and giving back. It's uh, wonderful. So, guys, be safe that side. Have a safe trip home. Um, I've got all, all the links to your, your uh, Nigel Hopkins aerobatics team, Extreme, etc. Thanks for what you do and thanks for your time today, Nigel. Thanks, and I guess I'll see you in isolation shortly. <laughs> Come join okay. us here at Bononi Lakes, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for listening. I'm excited to have you on this journey with us. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and remember to subscribe to the show to catch weekly episodes so that you can build your high-performance team.